Hello and welcome to another episode of the Climate Talk podcast. My name is Shea Fumi Adebote. A lot has been happening on the climate change scene in recent times with the COP25 moving from Chile to Spain. How well did it fare? What did countries get from it? Are we on the right path with COP26 approaching and the news about the COP26 president having to step down? Well, is it all gloomy or should we really be excited and hopeful about what COP26 brings? But that's still in November and what exactly are people doing on the ground? What are the actions that young people are taking at the moment? A lot of work still needs to be done. Talking about climate change and the need to take action. The Climate Talk podcast will continue to drive this conversation and provide the needed knowledge across boards to see that the voices of young people are heard and the actions of young people have been spotlighted. My name is Shea Fumi Adebote. I am your green guide on this ride and it is my pleasure to host you again on this episode of the Climate Talk podcast. Welcome. If this is your first time listening, welcome on board. We're very glad to have you be one of the 10,000 plus subscribers who listen and learn from the Climate Talk podcast every month. And we hope that in a few months from now, you also will be one of the champions leading climate action in your own little space. And like I always say, no action is too small when it comes to saving the planet because this is all we got. Very quickly, I want to appreciate Olumideido and Jimo. Working together with me to bring you new episodes of the Climate Talk podcast. Talking about climate change and the impact, 2019 was a crazy year. A lot happened. An estimate shows thousands of lives were lost and they were all related to climate change. Most of them, of course, on the African continent, which is the most impacted. On this episode of the Climate Talk podcast, I go all the way to Sudan a country that has been greatly hit by climate change and I have this conversation with Nisrin Al-Saim. Nisrin is a member of the UN Youth Working Group, Super 30 we call it, and together we've been leading this advocacy and driving uh, the conversations about the need to do things differently. For over five years, Nisrin has been attending the conference of parties and been a part of the negotiation. And so on this episode of the Climate Talk podcast, among many other things, I talked to Nisrin about why it's important for young people to be a part of this engagement. We also talk about international diplomacy and the processes and how, how effective it is, especially looking at the urgency uh, of climate change. We had a very interesting conversation and I am in no doubt that you will learn a thing or two from this episode of the Climate Talk podcast. Welcome on board. So my guest on this episode of the Climate Talk podcast is Nestrin El Saim. Great. Um, she's from South Sudan. 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 Great. Most times I just keep mixing it. Sudan, South Sudan. So let's start from there. For someone who... I'm an African and I know some of the goings in Africa and I still keep mixing it up. What exactly is the difference? Sudan, South Sudan? We were one country until 2011. Until when? 2011, they okay. separated in, uh, in 2011. Okay. Uh, in July. And after a long civil war between uh, Arab movement in South Sudan and the government, the Sudanese government, they finally decided to separate. 
and then they had um, what you call when you ask people if you want to referendum yeah referendum yeah. also and then the result came 90% voted for for separation so they separated so what has it been like before or after, after. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's complicated <laughs> <laughs> okay so this was in 2011 mm. uh, that's eight years ago how long ago have you been in the climate change environmental space I started doing climate change activism in 2012 and I was a freshman at the university back then but I started doing COPS in 2015 which is Paris um, my first COP I was very much lost <laughs> I had a dizziness in my head for three days and I was because I'm, I was interested in many many topics so I've been trying to actually track all of the topics that I was interested in and then it didn't work. It was work. crazy, I can imagine, <laughs> yeah. you know. It's the thing about walking into a marketplace and seeing so many attractive things to buy and yeah. you know you have limited budget and you're just sticking your head in, sticking your head in, sticking your head in. And at the end of the day, the market closes and you're looking at your box, what have I gotten? And you're like, ah, I should have just stopped somewhere. Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. That's Great. the same. So that was in 2015. But now, four years down the line, I'm sure the story has changed. Yeah, a lot, a lot more. Uh, in Marrakesh in uh, 2016, um, I started focusing on three topics only. <laughs> okay, and which were the uh, which uh, were It the was gender, capacity building, and I started to do some work on ACE. ACE, uh, that's the Action for Climate Empowerment? Yes, Great. Action for Climate Empowerment. Um, and I was doing a lot of civil society things, although I was a party, but I wasn't focusing on the negotiation. Like, I was engaged with the Pan-African Climate Justice Alliance, also with Yango, today's constituency and the Union and um, other NGOs. Great. It's, it's pretty confusing. You were a climate change activist, um, and then did you say you are also a party member? You got a party badge? Yeah, I always get a party badge. Typically, uh, it's very difficult for climate change activists to get that party badge which is given by the government. So, what's the case? Why is the case different? Is it peculiar, uh, peculiar to Sudan? Uh, so, um, as a developing country, it gives you some privilege also because we don't have enough experts in many topics of climate change. So, the government sometimes use civil society experts to be part of the delegation and what I did is I took this window and I advocated to give more slots for civil society experts and especially young civil society experts uh, to be part of the delegation so uh, we were giving 24 badges actually wow <laughs> 24 that's a whole lot yeah that's a lot for the civil society the yes, whole civil yes, society yeah, i get it it's, it's a lot in marrakesh yes and uh, 12 of them no actually seven of them were were young people wow that's that's pretty impressive and um they catered to their flights and their accommodation no, mm -mm, only just the, the badges, badges. Yeah. <laughs> it's good to be clear it's good to be clear about that uh -uh, so now I, can, can you like set the scene for us 
Since 2011 mm. or 2012, you've been a climate change activist uh, back in school. What exactly is climate change activism like in Sudan? Particularly looking at the fact that you started before it became a global conversation. Yes, so um, because Sudan is uh, is a very dry country, uh, and this dryness translates as a huge vulnerability to climate change. As we all know water is the source of life. So if we have no water, then we don't have any vegetation cover. If we don't have a vegetation cover, we are at least developed countries, which means we primarily uh, and basically depend on uh, the natural resources for our livelihood, for our economical growth, for our food security and whatever. Uh, and this primary uh, natural resources means that have livestock, which is cows, dogs, uh, sorry, cows, sheep, and, and other, um, and also we have agriculture. And whenever there is an issue with agriculture and with the livestock, then it translates to other issues, famines, um, civil wars, conflicts over natural resources, diseases because of the heat heat waves, and, and, and etc. So from 2012 until now, we had seven conflicts over natural resources in seven different areas in Sudan. At seven different times? Yes. Um, and of course, you know, and you heard about the Darfur issue, yeah. which is mainly, mainly a conflict over natural resources. And I can simply put it that way. So the conflict in Darfur started with this. So we have a normal cycle that the pastures and the um, farmers have a role of conduct <laughs> where um, it the role of conduct depends on the seasons. Okay. So whenever it's the winter, the pasturers move down to south. But that time, uh, the farmers collected or harvested their crops already and the uh, livestock or the cows or whatever comes and eat what left from the crops and also cultivate the land and fertile it with the natural fertilizer yeah. and everything and it's a natural it's a natural process but because uh, of climate change now seasons are very mixed we don't have a proper winter it's always hot and when it's when it's cold we don't have the rain and if we don't have rain or it came late then everything mixed so the farmers start moving south earlier so instead of the, the cattle or the livestock eat the what left from the crops, they eat the actual crops. Yes. So the farmer killed the, the, the cattle. And when the farmer killed the cattle, the, the pastor killed the farmer. And then the farmer tribe killed the, far, the pastor. Yeah. And it, it starts like this. So yeah. this brings to mind something in Nigeria where we have what we call, in simple terms, we just call it um, farmer-elders conflict, where elders will bring their livestock to an area, and because there are no grasses there as such, they have to just eat the plants or the crops that the farmer has planted. So what exactly was your activism like back to Sudan now? What were you making a case for? I understand activism is about pushing out a message. So what exactly was your message since 2012? And has that message changed with the knowledge that has increased over the years? Uh, so our main message was people, there is changes and 
this change is named climate change. So in order to avoid this, we have to adapt to that. How to adapt, that's another question, but our main message was to actually introduce people, especially in the rural areas, to the concept of climate change. Because no one understands why things are going crazy. I mean, in Sudan, the indigenous knowledge can divide the rainy season for 13 seasons within the rainy season. So then they have names even for the season. So they know this season uh, is for XY crop. This season is for ZY something. Uh, this season we don't grow because it will be heavy. We'll do another one when the land is wet. And all of this have changed. So the indigenous knowledge that transferred from great, great, great grandfathers to then his son, to the son, to the current generations are like are useless now. So you can imagine how scared their people were because that's all of they know and all of they know is completely changed. So what are they going to do? They don't know how to farm anything. They don't know how to deal with the bastards and the nomad tribes because they start moving more than the usual thing and everything is was in a mess for them. Imagine you are walking in the street and then suddenly you start to be blind and deaf. So you don't see and you don't hear. You just lose the connection with that, with, the, with, with whatever surrounds you. The environment, you. yeah. So they, they, this is what happened to them. So we were trying to introduce a new, the concept of climate change for them to understand that these changes are for a reason. It does, it's not just happening. And this reason is this and this and this, and there's ways to adapt with it. It's not easy ways, but there are ways to adapt with that. Great, so I, I will come to the way, ways to adapt to it. But first, uh, two quick things I want to know. Was your voice being heard then? Uh, because from what I understand, it's more of a climate education for the people and um, the fact that there is need to act. So. I'm wondering, who was hearing your voice at that time and were they giving you attention or taking action? Uh, actually, other young people were really interested in the subject. And uh, especially the ones who had a basic education, who could, we had a, a common ground. They were very interested and then they could understand how this education could affect their life. Um, unfortunately, the old government wasn't very much interested in listening or hearing what was happening and how to solve it because one of our very old organizations working in environment, which is Sudanese Environment Conservation Society, it was established in 1975, produced a report about a possible conflict in Darfur in 2000. And then the conflict happened after three years of that because they tracked the pattern of the rainfall since the 90s, um, when we were, we were British colonized, they had um, a, a monitoring system in one of the villages in Darfur. And that monitoring system was recording up to 500 millimeter per year, the, the, the rainy percentage. And now it's dropped until 120, 110. Okay, so let's talk about adaptation. In what ways are the people in Sudan uh, adapting to climate change. I don't. Uh, that's if there are any. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, f uh, because, um, as I earlier mentioned, climate change affects many, 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 many parts of their lives. So, if they manage to adapt with this part, other parts are still missing. So, when you see the bigger picture, you don't feel like they are adapting to anything. 
uh, unfortunately they are now shifting from agriculture and pasturing to uh, like meanless jobs like selling candy candies on the streets or whatever whatever and they moved from people who have land and have a harvest season and have a constant food and whatever to just beggars on the street and um, uh, a lot of other people also especially young people moved to more desk jobs like they start to get uh, desk education like or whatever and then, then they do what they do and i think that that must have increased uh, unemployment in the land yes. it must have also in that development in the land exactly and this brings me to the main focus of our conversation cop 23 cop 24 and this is cop 25 and the world is giving attention to cop 26 which will happen in glasgow in uk what exactly you've been in for five years what's the output what's the success for you nothing <laughs> so, so yesterday you and I joined our colleagues to talk with um, Jayatma, the UN Youth Envoy, and um, I, I asked the question, or it was more like my opinion, if Africa really needs to join all of this conversation, the fact that the continent is developing and um, we have some resources that we can possibly exploit, exploit, however that would mean increasing our carbon emission. What do you make of this? Um, my only concern is, unfortunately, if we emit it, we will not only hurt the global north, we will also hurt ourselves. So it's like you take your finger and you stab your eye with it. That's the main issue. Um, but I think one of the things that I'm really thinking about, even when I'm sleeping, all of the technology that we have in the world couldn't actually like invent something that actually absorbed the CO2 and other greenhouse gases. I think if we really invested in science regarding this matter, we can do both. I mean, we can have not clean energy, but cleaned energy. Mm. Like we will have the same energy, the huge new, new fossil fuel one, but we can have a technology to clean Plenty it. Up. For example, um, you know the uh, air purifiers? Yeah. You, you have seen them yeah. sometimes. So chemically, the air purifier is um, a chemical construction where actually breaks the CO2 from the air into another component that is not toxic and not greenhouse gas. And also, if, for example, if we have a balloon, if you have a balloon, mm -hmm. and then you have um, smoke, and then this, you put something that uh, produces smoke into that balloon, you will notice that the CO2 will catalyze on the balloon as a um, powder. Yeah. Yeah. The only issue is the the, the rubber material of the balloon does not actually take the extensive heat from the smoke. So if we could actually with material science develop something that can actually um, uh, have more flexibility to the heat, then we can, we can have huge balloons that we can put on top of the factories. For example, I'm just thinking, I'm not knowledgeable in this area, yeah, I'm yeah. just thinking that how can science actually help the situation. I mean. For example, uh, 
people from telecommunication industry they bring a lot of money to make the phone smaller live longer with better cameras and all of these industries never thought of investing something to actually provide the, the, the air or uh, prevent Probably because it was not an issue for them then. Exactly. They didn't know how much it would emit and what exactly, it would cost. Exactly, exactly. So my point is we can do that by actually giving more resources and more attention to science from, from my point of view. So, so I will take you back to Nigeria where we had what we call the uh, Innovation Hub. And it was basically about bringing over a thousand young people together to share their ideas. And one of the ideas who stood out was one from Sylvester. And his idea was to have a methane hijacker. So he comes from the area of Nigeria where there is so much gas flaring. And just like you're saying, his own concept was to put this technology in places where there are so much emissions of methane. Then it absorbs this um, dirty gas. It produces hydrogen uh, fuel. And then that can be used as clean energy. So it's not just cleaning the energy, but also producing clean form of energy. But like you've said, it's going to take deliberate investment in technology, in science, to see that these things can work. But now let's come back to, to COP, Conference of Parties. What do you make from COP25? As a young negotiator, what do yes. you make from COP25? So for me, basically, because I'm following technology, and um, um, in technology there is a very important windows. For example, the PSP, which is the Poznan Strategic Program, it's how Jeff financed the knowledge transfer. And for some reason, our partners in other countries trying to kill the Bosnian strategy by saying, or the Bosnian program, by saying that the one of the projects and that the Bosnian has finished, so the Bosnian has finished, which is, of course, not true. Uh, so, um, and, and, and also, we have the joint annual report of Tech and CTCN, which is Tech Technology Tech, Technical uh, Executive Committee, and CTCN is Center uh, for uh, Climate Technology and Network. Um, so, they are trying to emphasize on the inclusion of private sector, which is they are trying to create another market from this by actually start to open a market for technology transfer which means that we will have to buy their technology with their money so they are not really actually like support. supporting oh, with their technology oh, aspects yeah. yes and not yeah i mean they are not really um, allocating resources for the support of developing countries because article 9 in the Paris agreement clearly say the finance article developed countries shall provide financial support to uh, developing, developing countries, countries which is it's this, the historical responsibility of the climate change so they are even trying to deny this one well sad really sad but, but one of the limitations i i know about things like cop is even when you're almost crazy and you want to lose your mind and you want to speak and then spit at them on the face and say hey it's this way the process just allows you to be so gentlemanly about it do you really think this is the way to go do you think all this can bring results especially to a place like sudan or a continent like africa no i don't think so i mean 
uh, I know that a lot of people believe in the, the process, but I I'm losing the face slightly because of three things actually. Number one, I now doubt in the concept of negotiation itself because when you negotiate, that means that you and the other side that you're negotiating are in, are in the same place. We are not in the same place. We were not responsible for the climate change issue, the, the historical responsibility. We don't have as much development as they do. We don't have as much capabilities, our resources as they do. I mean by resources, ready resources, not on the, under the ground or whatever. And let's not forget, for example, <laughs> I had a very weird discussion with one of the Switzerland, uh, sorry, uh, yes, Switzerland um, delegation because was asking is this chocolate Swiss then I looked at him I said when did Switzerland had chocolate <laughs> do you grow cocoa like they don't they take all the resources but he, he said well we, we have the other ingredients which is sugar and milk I said who told you that you don't have sugar and milk so we have the ingredients but you have the factory which is why we are here negotiating climate change. So it's industrial thing. And his face went red. I can imagine. But, but it's not <laughs> very much. I mean, it was a front conversation. Yeah, yes. but it, it was not the right thing to do. Absolutely. So now this is this is an area that concerns you and I. It's the way I also love to close the podcast because most of the people listening to the podcast are young people yeah. and they want to act, they want to do stuff. You and I are young people, I would say it's a privilege to be on the youth, UN Youth Working Group, it's super fancy. Yes. But for an average young person out there who also wants to step up his game or a game, what will be the map that you would hand over to such? Uh, for me, they have to read and not just listen to what the social media says. I mean, knowledge is power. So if you are knowledgeable and you have enough information in your head then you can actually make decisions you can actually plan according to the knowledge that you have and you can also allocate this knowledge when it's needed for example if you read and you know a lot of things and then suddenly your country is um, doing a project about a certain thing then you can step and work with the project within the country if your knowledge is going to focus on the climate diplomacy thing and then you can do the climate diplomacy. It's it's very important to have the general knowledge in, in the first place, then you can actually target your goal. And then when you target your goal, you can draw your map very easy. Great, so read, uh, understand the structures. What else, what else should you give? Any other thoughts? Specific goals. Okay, identify your specific goals and follow through with them. Yes. Great, thank you so much for your time. Uh, any last word? Uh, yeah, uh, for young people from all over the world, uh, please be frank. I mean, the whole diplomacy in the universe is not going to solve our problems, it's not going to help us, but frankness is going to. Great, thank you so, so much.
very interesting conversation I had there with my friend and colleague, Nisrin Alsaim, all the way from South Sudan. And it's very interesting to see a young African lady being on the climate change scene, discussing dialogues and politics with top leaders for over nine years. I mean, that is amazing. And this is truly inspiring. Nisrin, I cannot thank you enough for coming on the show. And to you, my guest, who's been listening to this episode of the Climate Talk podcast, I thank you very much. Thanks a lot. Feel free to check out other episodes of the Climate Talk podcast. You'll find the Climate Talk podcast on virtually every platform that has podcasts on it, from iTunes to Apple Podcasts to Stitcher, SoundCloud, Overcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Podcast, CastBox, every platform that has a podcast you'll definitely find the climate talk podcast feel free to also check out the website www.climatetalkpodcast.com i'll take it again www.climatetalkpodcast.com if there are thoughts you have about climate change and you think you want to discuss with someone feel free to reach out to me or probably you need some materials to help you understand climate change and some practical climate action that you can take. I'm also very happy to share with you the few that I have access to. But for me, it's all about driving the conversation. It's all about inspiring action, especially by young people, because it is up to us to address the change in climate. Be sure to shoot me a mail, shei at climatetalkpodcast.com. Shei is spelled S-E-Y-I, that is s-e-y-i at climatetalkpodcast.com and i do the best i can to respond to mails within 24 hours on behalf of my colleagues olumideido and jimo Oluwatobishegun, this is about the size of the package on this episode of the climate talk podcast thank you so much again uh, for listening and for all that you do to make the world a better place Join me on the next episode of the Climate Talk podcast. Between now and then, keep taking climate action. Chefumi Adebote, over and out.